Welcome again to Profiles on Nantucket Community Television. I'm Charlie Walters. It's rare that you come across someone in life who decided at age 11 what she wanted to do with her life. And rarer still is someone who sticks with that goal, never wavers, achieves that goal, and has great success for 40 years and counting in that role. Nancy Thayer's first novel, Stepping, came out in 1980. And in 2021, she published her most recent novel, Family Reunion. Her works have been published in 15 foreign languages. She has been on the New York Times bestseller list. As a demonstration of the breadth of her talent and the breadth of her appeal, in 1981, she was a fellow at the prestigious Breadloaf Writers Conference in Vermont. And in 2015, she was a recipient of Romantic Times Career Achievement Award for Mainstream Fiction. Last, but by no means least, since 1984, she has been my wife. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you, Charlie. This isn't the first time I've interviewed you, but it is the first time on Profile, so I'm, I'm happy to have you doing this, finally. I'm delighted to be here. And the first time you interviewed me uh, was the only time you've interviewed me when we didn't get married. I mean, we got married after, we didn't get married right after you interviewed me, but your interviewing was very important. In fact, I think we had known each other for 24 hours when we did that first interview. Yeah. And uh, that, that interview came to, to pass for a number of reasons, but I like to tell the story that you didn't want to come down here to do the interview. You, di you didn't want to come to Nantucket, but you were persuaded to do it by your, the friend who introduced us when she told you that you could tax deduct the trip down here if you decided you wanted to do it. So. I started off in your life as a tax deduction. <laughs> anyway, um, 11 years old, was there a writer or were there writers who inspired you at that point or did you just know you wanted to write? I knew I wanted to write when I was 11. Um, I didn't realize until then, I didn't get it that human beings write books. They supply us with all these books. They don't just magically appear out of the library, which is where I got most of my books. So when I was in sixth grade, uh, my teacher had me read a short story to my class on Friday afternoon. So that was my first publication. Now, libraries were still very important to you. I, I've been with you any number of times when you've spoken to libraries. Uh, talk some more about why libraries are so important to you. My family always read, and they did buy books, but we all read so much, we probably couldn't have afforded all those books. Every Saturday, my mother would take us to the library, and this started when we were young. And, and I could leave with a big stack of books, and all I had to do show them a piece of paper and then i had these wonderful books for a week or two um and i've always been grateful to librarians and to libraries they are one of the strongest audience and supporters of all writers because they stock the books that writers write and they invite writers to give talks um, 
In about 1990, I was on the board of trustees of the Nantucket Athenaeum, and Charlotte Mason was president, not president, she was library director. And I love the building, the Athenaeum, but I found while traveling that most libraries in any town, most libraries are really beautiful. They're really, they're really assembled of, of hope, of learning, of being open. Uh, and you know that because you've driven me to most of the libraries I've seen. Well, also, I, as you know, a number of years ago, I, I drove across the United States. And I one thing I noticed was even in some of the smallest towns in the middle of nowhere, there was a very beautiful building that was a library. Sometimes it was an old building, sometimes it was a new one. But uh, libraries really have universal importance, no matter what kind of a town the library happens to be in. And that you know, that reminds me of, of the way you have utilized libraries. You've spoken in some very big ones. You've spoken in libraries in, in Dallas, outside of Chicago, and Milwaukee, and so on and so forth. But you've also taken time uh, in the Northeast to speak in in small libraries in small towns where they probably don't get ever get to see a best-selling author. You've been in places in Massachusetts like uh, Milford and Methuen and East Bridgewater, and I'm sure it's a thrill for them to see you um, come to their small town and speak in their library. And by the way, all those libraries in those towns I just mentioned are beautiful buildings. I mean, they're, they're spectacularly nice buildings. That's true. Now, I, I can personally attest to the fact that you write seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. Uh, let's talk about that. When I started writing seriously, I had two little children. Um, and I, I only had a certain amount of time to write. So I would get up in the morning, get the kids dressed and off to school shut the door and go into my study and work all morning and not get dressed because if I got dressed, I'd think, oh, I need to do the laundry. I need to uh, lose 10 pounds. I need to do any number of things. I didn't do anything but write in the morning. And that's been happening, oh, I'd say for over 40 years. And I find it works well for my mind because now when I go to sleep at night, the, the strange thing happens, which is the next sentence of my novel starts clicking along in my head. And so I pick up my iPhone and I send myself an email that might say, John got on the horse and rode into the West. And that way, when I get up in the morning, I'm just ready to go. It's all there. Now, your writing habits, not the seven days a week part, but uh, the other parts are very similar to most other writers. In other words, you don't write all day long. Some writers do, but I think most do not do that. When you're not actually at your computer, uh, what do you do the rest of the day? I answer emails. I always have a lot of emails. I have a lot of texts. 
I talk to my sister, I talk to my friends, maybe I go for a walk with my husband. Um, the, the day fills up very quickly. And I now I can go to the library again. During COVID, I can yes. go to the library. Well, that's, uh, I asked that to lead into another area, too, because um, you have a novelist responsibilities that novelists didn't have, let's say, 10 years ago. Or put it another way, publishing has changed a lot in the 40 years you've been publishing. I'd like to hear you talk about that. Well, 40 years ago, we didn't have the technology. We didn't have what was called social media. So I would write a book, send it to my publisher, my editor, and then start writing another book until she sent back the edits. And even doing that was very time consuming because I had to type on my electric, IBM electric or Selectric typewriter. Um, I had to type the novel, I had to copy it. I was living in Williamstown, so I'd go over to Williams College and use their copy machine. Then I had to put it in a box and wrap it in paper and address it, go to the post office and mail it to my editor. And now I just go send and, and it's in New York, which is mind boggling. So that's one of the wonderful things about technology. Um, one of the wonderful and different and difficult things is what is called social media. Because now that we have it, um, writers are supposed to use it. And when it first started, I was so excited with Facebook because I could meet so many of my readers. I could see their faces. I could see their dogs, their cats, their babies. Um, but every six months, or more often, there are new kinds of technologies that come in that are very important. There's Facebook, but there's there's Instagram, there's um, Twitter, there's uh, TikTok, and there are quite a few other means of social media that our grandchildren know about, but we don't. Um, and so it's a blessing because I can get to know so many of my readers, and that means the world to me. But it's also a problem because I'm the kind of writer who is very happy being alone, or with you, those two things. Um, and and I, I could live, I mean, COVID was a wonderful time for me. I could. I could write, and then I could go for a walk with you, and I could come home and read. Um, and I have found a lot of the touring, and I think it's because I'm older, a lot of the touring is a lot of work. The, the, um, the traveling, the connections, what if the plane is late or doesn't go at all? Um, those things, even if, for example, um, my publisher sent me to Las Vegas. Which of course did in fact happen. Yes, my publisher sent me to Vegas and I'd never been there before. 
I got to meet probably hundreds of other writers. Um, I met uh, Reese Bowen, who is an English mystery writer. That was wonderful. Um, and being there, being at my talks, is always heavenly. It's the getting there that can be difficult and, and sometimes a problem. Well, now, Zoom has been a blessing for you, obviously. Uh, since your book came out, well, as we're speaking, it came out about a month and a half ago. And since you couldn't make very many personal appearances, Zoom enabled you to make a whole slew. Um, but were it not for Zoom, you would have made some appearances in southeastern Massachusetts and, of course, on Nantucket. But uh, even though you have been to a lot of places over the last 40 years, generally speaking, you don't do a grand tour. No, I, I don't want to do a grand tour. I, I want to stay home. I want to stay home and write and read. And I never did want to do a grand, grand tour. Don't tell my editor. This is awful. Don't tell my publishing house. Um, but the time it takes just with the logistics, packing, getting to the airport, we do live on an island. Um, and quite often, uh, there is either a nor'easter on the day I have to go, and the boats won't come, and the planes won't fly. And sometimes I'll go off the day before and go to Boston. It's all the connections. Um, and I'm not capable of writing while I'm traveling. I have learned that over the years. And I'm, I'm much happier staying at home. I can recall going with you maybe five or 10 years ago. You had a very brief tour in southeastern Massachusetts. Uh, you went to, I think, four, four stores. You had four events in... Uh, on the Cape and in Rhode Island and in Connecticut and everything worked perfectly and you got to go to all those places and you got there on time. But I remember thinking if the slightest thing had gone wrong, that would have thrown everything off. But the big thing for you, I, I think, I, I believe your, your publisher and your editor understand this. If you take a month or two weeks or whatever to do a tour, that's a month or a couple of weeks or whatever when you're not writing. And after all, it is the writing that makes people want you to come to their bookstore or their library. So in a way, it doesn't make sense not to do a tour. But um, if you weren't doing the writing, there'd be no reason to tour. That's, that's, right. a, that's a convoluted way of putting it. But, uh, <laughs> you're, you know, authors are supposed to write. Um, I think there are many writers. I know many writers who are wonderful at writing and touring. They can go anywhere on the plane and write on the plane. Uh, they can they can write in a hotel room. Um, and I'm just I'm not good at that. I need all my papers and my stuff all around. I have all my notes and my little post-its and. Um, and that's the way I write. I need a lot of privacy. 
few years ago, you said to me one day, well, I'm thinking of retiring. And I said to you, oh, well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, what would you do if you did retire? And you thought for a minute and you said, well, I guess I'd write. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> I guess you don't have to retire, do you? I, I don't think I will knock wood ever retire. I'm very <clears throat> fortunate because I have a wonderful, wonderful editor, a wonderful publisher. I have a wonderful agent and I have a contract for two more books for one that will come out in 2022 and one in 2023. And, and that's to go back to the technology what makes all of this so much fun without touring <clears throat> is that people can buy all of my backlist on online as an e-reader, as an Amazon Kindle or a Barnes and Noble Nook, or from the library as a Libby e-reader, so that my publisher will have hardback books out there and copies of my books in soft cover, paperback. But it's so easy now for people to go way back to the books I wrote in um, 1986, 1988, 1990. And if they're not available in print, they might be available through ebooks or ABE, but they are always available. It is remarkable that you know 40 years worth of your books, you know 34 books, even if you can't get it in a store, you can get it as as an ebook. I mean, it, it's an amazing uh, achievement of technology that that can happen, because 10 years ago, you know, books would be going out of print and bookstores would be running out of them, and uh, now. Um, and as you say, if, if you want to get a hard copy of something um, that is, let's say, that, you know, the hardcover of your first book, you can probably find it on eBay or uh, a Libris or, you know, what have you. Um, it's remarkable. One other thing that technology has done, and I'm, I'm circling back to the question I asked a couple of minutes ago, um, all this technology has led to authors being asked to do things they couldn't or maybe wouldn't do up until maybe 10 years ago. The author today is much more a part of the publicity machine than he or she used to be, which is, is another block of your time that uh, you have to use up as part of being an author. Uh, can you tell us more about that? I think the touring for me is the, the hardest part because I can't write with technology like Facebook and Instagram that I can jump into and jump out of. Um, that has been a remarkable connection for me and, and I really enjoy it. And for example, um, about five years ago, um, one of my readers on Facebook said that she was a deputy sheriff in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I thought, I never thought I'd meet a woman who was a deputy sheriff. And then I went down to the Isle of Palms in South Carolina and spoke at 
a book event there. And Amanda drove down a beautiful woman, young woman, and she came in and we had coffee. And then I had to walk into this large gathering. And she said to me, don't you worry about a thing, Miss Nancy, I'm packing. And I thought, this is the coolest moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, I love mysteries. Well, it, it's interesting to me to, to follow your readers' comments on Facebook because um, they come not just from all over the United States, but you, you get people from different countries who are following what you're doing and, and reading your books in translation or, or maybe in English. And there was a good, there's a good chance you wouldn't know any of that were you not utilizing Facebook or other social media. Right. And I do have a website, which is simply nancythayer.com. And on there, you can click on um, email me. And you can also click on subscribe to my newsletter. And the newsletter is free. Um, I send it out maybe four times a year to announce what's going on. Sometimes I have a new Christmas novel out, or sometimes I've been to a library or a bookstore and had a wonderful signing. And I like to share that with my readers. Uh, in spite of the fact that you're writing seven days a week, and in spite of the fact that you're also doing publicity on Facebook and things such as that, and, and utilizing email, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you still read a lot, you know, which has been true really your entire life, as, as you've said. But I, I have to say, you read more than anyone I have ever seen or heard about. Uh, you, <laughs> uh, If I come downstairs at lunchtime and you've already made your your lunch, uh, you will have a book propped in front of you, which you'll be reading as you're eating. Um, I, mean, I, I think I read a lot, but I think you read probably three times, literally three times as much as, as I do. How much do you read, first of all? How many books a week do you suppose you read on average? I'm going to guess two or three on average every week. Say three or four. Three or four. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's, that's obviously a lot of books. Um, well, first of all, tell us, uh, who do you like to read? Well, first of all, I'm at the delicious point in life where novelists send me ARCs, advanced reader copies of their books that are coming out in six months. And if I like the book, I'll give it a quote. And I love to have other writers give my books quotes, and I love to get especially new writers quotes. Um, it's a nice networking with other writers. So I'm provided with a lot of wonderful books to read, but when I'm not reading those, I'm reading mysteries, which, which I love. You know I love mysteries. I love old-fashioned mysteries, and I just finished Paula McLean's When the Stars Go Dark, which is a mystery and a profoundly moving story. Um, and before that, 
I read, uh, we begin at the end by, I forgot who, who wrote it, and I've lent the book to a friend. But those are both mysteries, and but they're also about being a human being, the profundities of life. So my favorite writer is Anne Cleves, who lives in England and who has written the Shetland novels. And now Shetland is on Masterpiece Theater. And she's written the Vera novels, which is also on Masterpiece Theater and stars Brenda Blethyn. And Anne Cleves is my favorite mystery writer, except maybe for Agatha Christie. Um, I love Benjamin Black, who's Irish and depressed. So <laughs> his books, he knows so many beautiful words. He knows how to use words. He's not just plotting out something. He's not just unrolling the action. Uh, Benjamin Black, uh, just to be clear, Benjamin Black is a pen name of another author uh, whose name is? John, it starts with a B. Banville. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> uh, sticking with, with books and, and authors, uh, you've, when you've traveled uh, on many tours, you know, three or four stops at the most, uh, you, you've gone to you know the obvious places, your Barnes and Noble, uh, Borders when they existed, uh, but but you also believe in the importance of independent bookstores, and uh, I've got a list I wrote down of, of all the ones uh, that you go to frequently that are in New England, like Mitchell's and Bookworks, obviously, but also Titcombs in Sandwich, Massachusetts, or Bank Square Books in Mystic, Connecticut, and and many many more. Uh, talk to us about the importance to you of independent bookstores, both as an author and as a reader. Well, first, as a reader, independent bookstores are much more likely to stock what you read because they know you, they know what you've bought, they see a new um, Anne Cleves, and, and they get it, and as Mimi Beeman used to do. Uh, you walk in the store and Mimi used to say, we've got the new John Banville. Um, as an author, independent bookstores are wonderful because, again, they are, they are helping the community. They are interested in their community. They know what sorts of things their community likes. And so they can stock books that they think will appeal to their particular neighborhood. Um, I think Nantucket with Mitchells and Titcombs on the Cape and uh, where the sidewalk ends out in Chatham, they all know that, that in the summer, people want to read what is called beach books. And they're not going to put textbooks about some chemical reaction on their shelves. They're going to put books about people just like us who have happy endings. So the owner of the independent bookstore 
is extremely important to both the reader and to the authors. Since Family Reunion is your most recent book, uh, why don't you tell us about that book? I'll show you the cover because I love it. I think my, I'm sorry, Frank, okay. Family Reunion is set on Nantucket. It's about a grandmother and granddaughter. The grandmother, Eleanor, has a great big old house on the cliff. And the granddaughter, Ari, has just graduated from Bucknell and she's just broken up with the man she was going to marry. She was engaged to him. She realized she didn't want to live that life. And in between the grandmother and the granddaughter is the mother of Ari and the daughter of Eleanor. And Alicia just wants to buy stuff. She wants to buy a Birkin for $10,000. That would make her happy. And for the men watching this, uh, tell us what a Birkin is. A Birkin is a, a certain kind of purse, like a purse by Hermes. And if you have it, then people know you've paid $10,000 for the purse, and you can show off that you're wealthy. And these are symbols of wealth, and, and Alicia has really gotten caught up in, in wanting to be wealthy. Um, and she's very, Alicia is very upset with Ari because Ari broke up with a man who's going to Harvard Law. And how, how can her daughter give up being married to a lawyer from Harvard Law School? So poor Alicia's having a terrible time. Ari escapes to Nantucket to live with her grandmother. And the combination of these two lives together brings a lot of changes in their lives, in their family's life. And there is finally a family reunion. But it also, family reunion is also about life on Nantucket and, and how how we've become not ignorant of, but careless about the broadening spectrum between the wealthy and the poor. But that sounds very depressing, so you should probably cut that out, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> well, having read the book, it's not depressing. Uh, it's, well, let's call it realistic. I mean, not everything is uh, a chocolate milkshake in life um, and you and you capture both the ups and the downs I mean it, it's not uh, it's not a self-help book and it's going to make you feel good at the end of it it's it's a it's a realistic depiction of uh, certain people at, a, at certain points in their lives in a certain place and I hope you agree with what I just said I do absolutely I always agree with you, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> You're smarter than that. Uh, now, we're taping this at the end of June. It'll be first shown in July. And the book has been out since the first week in May. And the paperback will be out when? There's always a gap, or usually a gap, between hardcover publishing and paperback publishing. Probably so when, next April. It will be out in paperback next April. 
Okay. Um, and the book that came out in 2020, uh, Girls of Summer, uh, is the paperback for that out right now, or is that about is. to come out? It is. It's been out for a while. Okay. Um, I, I'm looking to see if I have a paperback copy here. Um, well, Mitchell's and Bookworks should have that. So, that's uh, true. I, I, um, I hate to ask this cliched question, but if I don't ask it, people are going to get upset. What are you working on now? Oh, I love that question. Um, I, I'm working on a book called, and, and this is a cliche title, but I will explain why I called it that. It's called Summer Love. And it's about four people who were on the island in 1995, and they return for a, for a reunion of the four of them with their grown children who are about 22 and the age that the original four were when they were on Nantucket. Um, it, it's about friendship, but it's also about summer love because on Nantucket, people come here to be happy. They know they're going to be happy. They're not coming here for a colonoscopy. They're not coming here because they have to uh, take care of a sick dog. We've got a great vet service out here. Uh, people come to Nantucket because they've heard how beautiful it is. Uh, the beaches are romantic. The, the sunsets are romantic. and sort of everybody falls in love for the summer. And this is partly about what happens in September, what happens when it's not summer anymore, when you have to go back to the real world. Um, do you stay together? How can you stay together? Uh, so that's what I'm working on now. And that should be out uh, either in May or June of 2022? That's right. Probably May. Yes. Uh, in time for summer, obviously. I finished the first draft, but I have to send it to my editor, who always catches lots of things that I should change. As all editors do. That's right. That's right. Um, and actually, that's something we might want to talk about on, a, on another show, but the importance of editors, because no less an author than Stephen King has said, always do what your editor tells you to do. And if someone as big as Stephen King is saying that, I would take that to be very good advice. So I'm happy to hear you say the same thing. Yes. Well, it's especially good if, if you and your editor on this are on the same wavelength. If, and if she knows who your audience is. Um, for example, my audience is not a lot of women in their 20s who want to read, or women in their 70s who want to read about sex and they want to read about sexual act in detail. Uh, my readers don't, don't need that. They don't want that. Uh, it's not puritanical. It's just a matter of of taste. It's a matter of, of what I like 
um, and and Shauna Summers. Shauna Summers, what a name. She sounds like a romance person. Um, but she she knows what my my readers like and what they don't like. And I can tell you that in my Christmas novel, Let It Snow, the very end of the book, the very last sentence, and this is not a spoiler, uh, even though it is the very last sentence, but it, the last sentence is, they closed the door and walked upstairs and didn't come down until morning. And I had a letter from a woman who said, I will never read your books again. You had that terrible, dirty, icky last sentence. Why do you think you have to write about sex? And I haven't even answered that woman because I'm, I, I'm, I would probably not be polite if I answered her. If she thought that was a, a sex scene, walking up the stairs and then coming down again, um, there's a lot in the world that's going to trouble her. Well, that's one of the nice things about reading. Uh, it's You can be running your own movie of the book in your head. Uh, it, reading always leaves at least something to the imagination. You told the story about the woman who was upset. There are probably other readers out there who thought, well, why didn't she just go ahead and tell what they were doing upstairs? You, know, you, you can't please everybody, right? Right. Before we go, I just want to point something out to the viewers. Uh, they're probably wondering, well, if they're husband and wife, how come they're not in the same room? Uh, we are, in fact, in the same house, but I'm on the first floor in our dining room, and Nancy is in the attic in her study. We thought it would be easier and, and more pleasant to the eye to have us in, in two separate spaces rather than trying to crowd into the same uh in front of the same computer or whatever. Um, I hope the viewers will agree this is a better way to, to watch the show. Nancy, thank you for coming on. Charlie, I want my last moment before we close. I bet nobody knows that you used to write for Rolling Stone. I bet nobody knows that you published a book on Fleetwood Mac. A lot I, of people know these things. No because you never talk about it and you because they already know about it anyway you read <laughs> how many magazines do you read like the atlantic and the london review of books and the new york well, times how many 10 10 or 12 the same number of books you books you read in the course of just a month right so we are very compatible we, well we have a mutual admiration society going here so that's yes. I, I'm sure that's fine with both of us. Anyway, I think it's almost time for lunch, so we should uh, we should bring this to a halt and go get something to eat. Thank you for doing this, Nancy. Thank you, Charlie. I hope you'll do it again. Good. For Nantucket Community Television, this is Charlie Walters for Profiles. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in again. <laughs>